When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to this week's edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com with Pete Sampson, Tim O'Malley, Jack Freeman, and Tim Priester. We are going to uh, talk today about uh, Irish Invasion on Friday, uh, the second annual Irish Invasion. Pete, you were there with the, the whole group and pulled it all together, and why don't you just... Well, first of all, the first question I asked you was whether the event was that much greater than last year. It, it certainly was an upgrade, but not overly significant in your opinion. Yeah, I thought the stadium was a significant change for the better, and you know they were putting in turf at this time last year, so it wasn't even an option. I'm sure they would have had it in the last year too. I thought they, the staff did a much better job communicating with prospects, essentially recruiting prospects to attend. I thought that there was a, a much smaller group of guys who scratched at the last minute. Um, Caleb Kelly was a five-star linebacker that was supposed to come, ended up not making it, but uh, they had a lot of guys in from Florida, Kevin Stefferson included, who committed, but then you had uh, Carlos Becker, Spencer Wright, uh, Vandarius Cowan, uh, Devin Studstill. You had a lot of guys that would have been easy for them to sort of bag it at the last second and not make the trip all the way up to South Bend. So I thought... I thought that was, if there was a most significant improvement, I thought it was the job the staff did recruiting guys to show up to the event. In terms of the overall talent that was there, um, I think that earlier I felt like that it was going to be a significant step up. I think in the end it probably was about the same. Um, you know, people sort of forget last year you had, you know, Jerry Tillery was here, but he was committed. So that was, you know, there was less hype around that. Um, Sean Crawford was here last year. He was committed. Uh, Jacquez Patrick, who went to Florida State. Justin Hilliard, who went to Ohio State. Tavon Coney, who obviously signed with Notre Dame, was here last year. So um, Austin Bryant, who was a defensive end, who signed with Clemson, Bryant, who was here Bryant. last year. Uh, they, they, I mean, they had a really nice group of guys last year, um, and they had a really nice group of guys this year. Uh, but, I, but I thought that the, the organization of it was probably the the biggest step forward in the event. And the upgrade for the media was a roster, na- a roster <laughs> yeah. and the players had names on their helmets. They had, they actually had num They didn't have numbers. Did no. they, they actually had numbers. So, so they were identifiable and a lot easier. Now, I mean, not only for the media, but I mean, I think the coaches too, they don't know them oh, yeah. that readily. <laughs> so it's, it's obviously, you know, they're up close and, and personal and can read the name on, on the helmet. So that's good. I mean, I think that's all that's, a real positive step in a lot of areas. I, I think as time goes on, I maybe disagree, Pete, but I mean, as time goes on, the talent upgrade should continue just by the nature of uh, repeating the event. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about that because I, there, there are more camps every year. That's I, true. And I think the, the roadblock that Notre Dame runs into here, which is you know same everywhere, is whether it be the Rivals Camp Series or the opening regionals, um, you know, those 
those get in the way of these camp, other team camps. Where um, does it end? I mean, yeah, it's, it's just, just going to continue seven, to escalate. Seven tournaments. Right. Um, you know, you had a safety named Spencer Wright from AMG that is a teammate with Tony Jones, a commitment. Jones was going to come up for the event, but he had a big national seven-on-seven seven tournament that he competed in instead. So they've, you just have stuff going on all the time, all summer for these kids, and they don't want to burn out. They don't want to get injured. Uh, and I think a lot of the, a lot of these kids end up sort of feeling camped out by the time mid to late June rolls around. And that was my main question for you. How like comparatively competitive is it? In other words, you see guys can some guys won't work out. Some guys can feel sick of camps. I was wondering yeah. if it's more how many guys are there to, to truly show themselves against the best at every camp they go to half maybe uh i I thought that the group of receivers and dbs was really good so there was good competition there but uh you know the linebackers or running backs was insignificant offensive line defensive line was basically nothing um so it was you had some good skill position competition uh happening but you know beyond that there there wasn't great offensive line defensive line work i mean they had a couple good defensive ends in um really one or two offensive linemen of note but they were all underclassmen so yeah that was the competition there was not great so that and that makes it tough to evaluate because i mean really what you want to see is who's trying to get to the front of the line who really wants to fight for reps jalen elliott the other guy they got was one of those guys um you know, that that's I mean, I, I've mentioned this before, but one of the things I really loved about Jalen Smith coming out of high school is like he wanted to compete. He not only showed up to every event, but he wanted reps and tried to be first in line and you know, was really sort of a ringleader of, of whatever group he was working with that day. Um and I'm not saying I saw any of that from from these guys, but uh, you know, Jalen Elliott was a guy who really wanted to work out and, and take coaching and sort of see if he could get better. Notre Dame's verbal commitment list raises to eight with uh, the commitment from wide receiver Kevin Stefferson from Jacksonville and then Jalen Elliott, who, you know, from Chesterfield, Virginia, who plays quarterback, is listed as a receiver, is recruited by Auburn as a corner, and is recruited by Notre Dame and verbally commits to Notre Dame as a safety. I, I you know, I, I watched a bunch of film of Stefferson, and I think maybe what I saw on film of him, Pete, was maybe a little bit more impressive than what you saw in person. I just don't know. I, I mean, I, let's just say Stefferson's a guy he can get deep. I mean, I, th- I think his his speed is a little bit, his ability to run by people is a little inconsistent at times, but he's a long strider. He can get deep on people. He can high point the football. He's agile. He can make plays. So he's a you know probably a, a, a W candidate for Notre Dame, maybe X, but most likely W that can get d- deep. I... I don't really know how to evaluate Jalen Elliott, you know, as a prospect, as a safety. I mean, obviously, he's a pretty good athlete. Uh, the position we know that he won't play as quarterback because he's that's more of need based than actual skill level at that position. Right. But athletically, he can he can do some things. But I think we saw, you know, when he's taking reps uh, at DB, he has a difficult time when. You know, there's always in a route. There's always a time where the where the receiver and the DB make contact, and as a DB, you've got to be able to come out of that contact on the run and stay stride for stride with the receiver. It looked like he struggled with that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, there it was a mixed bag for him. Uh, he had a really nice in the highlight package that we had on the site. Uh, he had a really nice pass break that on the last cut, rep. Yeah, he played yeah, that really came well. Came under uh, the receiver there, but there were times where he got knocked off balance a little bit, and the receiver just sort of runs open and. 
when that happens in those one-on-one situations, it's pretty obvious. Um, there isn't really anywhere to hide in those those drills are not set up for DBs to no look doubt. good. No doubt. Those, um, are t- those are tough drills in a yeah, camp for a DB. No I thought doubt. Stefferson did some good things. I, I would agree with you. I sort of like his high school tape more than just what I saw in person uh, on Friday night. And, you know, among the receivers, Marquez Callaway to me was by far the best one, um, just in terms of his build and speed and ability to get deep. Um, Chase uh, Claypool was also really good. You know, he's a guy that's going to make a decision next month coming up at the opening. We'll be out there for that. Um, but, yeah, Stefferson is a a good receiver. You know, is he more like Jalen Guyton or more like Will Fuller or more like – I don't. I feel like they've signed a lot of guys like him that have been productive right. at Notre Dame. So um, I think he'll just sort of be more ammunition for that depth chart, which is – I think all they've recruited that position so well. They're, I don't think they're – Unless you're going to find the next Michael Floyd, um, you're going to come in and learn and bide your time a little bit, and I think he'll he'll add to that that meeting room. And it sounds like things are pointing up with Notre Dame with regard to Chase Claypool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they made it's always a good sign when a kid takes a visit and then immediately says, "Okay, I'm ready to make my decision." Um, you know, that's a usually it usually trends well for the team. Now, Oregon is, is way up there too, so. I'm not saying he's Notre Dame's to lose at this point, but um, I like Notre Dame's position there a lot. And man, that guy could could he be a tight end? Could he be a receiver? Could he be a defensive end? Could he be an outside linebacker? Man, that guy could do a little bit of everything. Yeah, I want to ask you about a, a couple people, and and you know, I think a lot of times when when I'm in the uh, film room business, I guess so to speak, and a lot of times it's it's taken personally, and it, I mean. I don't know most of these kids. I don't know any of these kids really. It's just an evaluation of a body and a helmet and a uniform. And and the kid that I continue to look at and have questions uh, questions about is Chacho Luoa, Chacho Luoa, who at his size, I, I just don't see him having the, having the suddenness to be a, an effective deep man on a defense. Yeah, I'm not sure really where he fits into the mix now. Because um, I think going into the weekend, Notre Dame was so desperate for safety help um, that they needed to just sort of get everyone here on campus and then just see how it uh, shakes out. Well, I think afterwards you have Jalen L.A. committed. Spencer Wright is now very high on – or I'm sorry, Spencer Perry. I don't know why I keep saying Spencer Wright. Spencer Perry is very high on Notre Dame. Uh, he's a Florida commitment. Uh, you know, Probably will end up flipping – uh, Ikena Okeke is uh, from Tennessee, almost committed to Notre Dame, wants to take a visit at Stanford. Those two body types are much more what Notre Dame needs at safety, right. where longer, leaner, um, you know, Chacho, I think, is more of a, an in-the-box type guy, but I I don't feel like he is nearly as athletic as what Drew Tranquil was coming out of high school. Um, so that's a, that's a bit of a mystery, and I, I think... Notre Dame, after getting all these safeties on campus, being able to interact with them, seeing where you fit into the mix, um, then you, I think the staff will come out and be like, okay, well, maybe we should reorder our board a little bit. Um, certainly they've, they've offered more guys than they can take, uh, and then it, all of a sudden like half dozen of them ends right. up visiting on one weekend. Right, exactly. Uh, that's when you got to reevaluate as a staff. What about uh, Devin Studd still? And I, I, I was yeah, he's on, in the mix too for yeah, safety. Yeah, I mean, I was on Twitter and somebody said – He's not undersized at six foot or five eleven and a half or six. He's probably six foot guy. I mean, okay. Well, I mean, that's just not. It's not ideal. 
every coach would rather have a six two guy than a six foot guy sure. or five eleven guy. Yeah. I mean, they just would. No. Well, that's like with with Spencer Perry. He's more of that ideal sure. safety build at six three. Um, you know, but yeah, you're not, you're not going to get Harrison Smith or Max Redfield every time you're recruiting these guys. Um, you know, could Stud still be a free safety? I. Maybe I, you know, it's it's really hard to say. I, mean, to, I, I think he can. I think he can from his high school film. I I think he has the ball skills and the and the mobility to do that. I, I just I guess he he measured it. He's probably early. six foot. I mean, yeah. I liked him as a player. Yeah. Um. You know, they they got a they had a lot of good guys on campus. I mean, they had, and then you know, Jawan Williams was on campus too. So they had six legitimate safeties. And his build is a little bit more pushing the ideal of like a solid six yeah. two. Um, so we'll see how that all shakes out, but I, I think it was definitely eye-opening for the staff in terms of getting all these guys here at the same time, being able to eyeball test them against one another and be like, okay, well, maybe we need to adjust uh, our recruiting board. And just on that, I think there's different levels of six feet, too. It seems strange, but Elijah Shoemate's six feet tall, 215 or whatever. He seems he seems so much bigger than that to me. His arms, no he's got the range no to it. Yeah, so I think that... You know, it depends on how. Not everybody carries their six feet. Yeah, it, it was pointed out to me that there are a lot of undersized safeties, and my point was, <laughs> if there was a six-two or six-three safety as good as that six-foot safety, then that one would be chosen. That's just that's just the way the game is played. You would, yeah. I mean, look at Diaco wanted. You know, when guys got off the bus, I want them all looking like this. I, that, that, not that that's necessarily right or wrong, but I mean, that's the way coaches they want. They would prefer size over not having size. Well, it's just as simple as yeah, that. But I mean, you've got to have the components to go with what, that. What safeties do we talk about at Notre Dame over the last ten years? We talk about David Bruton. We talk about Harrison Smith. We talk about Zeke Mata a little bit. We've spent a lot of time talking about Max Redfield. Um, <laughs> We spent a lot less time talking about Kyle McCarthy, who was a really productive college player, but didn't have sort of that next level ability. I mean, I know he hung around in the pros for a, for a minute, but you don't go Notre, looking for the Kyle yeah. McCarthy guy that will overachieve and become. It's then it's remarkable that he's the MVP of a team. Right, that's, that's what like, you're looking for. When we watched the out. national championship game, haha, Clinton Dix was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't an undersized safety. Like that's the guy. If Notre Dame is looking for safeties to get it into the college football playoff. Give me the six two guy. Yeah, because that that's who's going to do it. There's good players at every size, and just going. But think about this: Shane Walton's great at Notre Dame. It took five years for him to become that. Bobby Taylor walked in the door, right. six inches taller than him, and was automatically great at Notre Dame right. as a freshman. It's just and yeah, Bobby yeah. Taylor went on and had a uh, exactly. long, fruitful yeah. career in the NFL. One guy I want to ask you about: um, not only how you thought he looked, but Notre Dame's shot at him. Uh, Eric, is it Cuffy, the quarterback? Yeah. Um, did some good thing like mixed mixed bag, which is pretty much true for all every DB that I yeah. saw. Um, thick kid for a corner. I mean, I remember you know when we saw Sean Crawford last year, he's kind of more wiry, and um, you know Cuffy's more built. Um, you you wonder if maybe he'd grow into a safety, but did some yeah. I I liked some of the stuff I saw from him. I would say just to wrap up. Hunter Johnson was here. Obviously, he's the the name. I mean, he's got more star power than any of the upperclassmen who were there. Um, hard to get a real evaluation on him. Uh, not hard to see how much Notre Dame wanted him based on the attention he got yeah. from Mike Sanford and Brian Kelly. Uh, Brock Wright also kind of looked like 
uh, John Carlson, Anthony Fasano type of tight end. Um, he had a good night. So and they're sitting in. They appear to be sitting in yes, a pretty good spot very, with him. Yeah, very good position there. Um, Corey Malone Hatcher was here. He looked good. Uh, unlike maybe some of the defensive ends Notre Dame's been able to get over the last few years, built more like a you know an Isaac Rochelle type. I mean, not that big now, right. but uh, a big defensive end who was was fairly light on his feet. So. Those would be guys to watch um, moving forward. It was, um, I think, in some ways they had maybe higher in talent in the 2017 class than they did in the 2016 class. So overall, good event for Notre Dame. Um, you know, it's uh, it's a competitive industry to get kids on campus to work out. I thought they did a, a good job, uh, and I thought they sort of moved the camp forward in terms of the venue. Um, you know, but again, they're they're going to be pushing to get more and more talent every year, and it's going to be harder and harder to do. We'll be back for segment two with questions from our readers. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider. Segment two, questions from our readers. First up, Port ND. Is the defensive talent Notre Dame's recruited in the 14 and 15 classes along with the current class projections? College football playoff worthy in terms of its talent overall. Thoughts? Do you want to say no first, or should I? <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> I mean, I just, you know, it, it, this is the why we've been yeah. saying that, that the, the iron's hot. Notre Dame has to strike yeah. in 2015. And, it, you know, I, I mean, I look specifically at the defensive line talent, and, and I think I think guys like Trombetti and Bonner and Hayes and Tillery, and I'm hopeful about Julian O'Quarr, too, or, or have a chance to be quality players. But I don't know about Blankenship. I, I, I'm doubtful about Cage. Do Treadway, Makwa, Johnny Williams is gone. Brandon Tiasim, Elijah Taylor. Yeah. I don't think that that's BCS-level playoff caliber defensive line talent. To me, that's where it all starts. I did a quick just jotting down and including the three guys from this class in Aquara, Love, and Elliott. For defense, they have... 26 defensive recruits in the last three cycles. That sounds small because it's only three for this current one. I had seven guys I thought might be in that playoff level overall. And, yeah, I had uh, Trombetti, Hayes, and Tillery are the only defensive linemen. But then the the problem is after that I had five that could reach that level. That we kind of like them. Um, Bonner. I like Bonner a lot. Bonner and Watkins. There, yeah. uh, McKelty Williams. Um, Barajas. Guys like that. I mean, I like Bilal quite a bit. I liked what I saw from Coney early. But we're not listing defensive linemen, again, and that's the issue. And then if you look right. down, they have 11 guys that need to develop. Blankenship's probably the best one of this group, maybe, at this point. But 11 guys that need to really develop for them to be playoff contenders, and it's littered with defensive linemen, right. and, and that's probably the Would issue. you like to uh, combat uh, that, uh, or would you? <laughs> I'll go with a no. Um, <laughs> yeah, just they haven't done enough on the defensive line. Uh, they have a complete lack of pass-rushing prospects right now. Uh, I mean, we were... T- when we were talking about this subject a few weeks ago, I think you mentioned, hey, Johnny Williams is a possibility. And that's not even to say, like, to point out that Johnny Williams isn't here anymore, but we're, we're looking at guys who haven't played as sure. possibilities yeah. Yeah. only because the guys we have seen play can't do it. <laughs> right. um, so I think that's it's a real unhealthy position for Notre Dame to be in. And you know, how did they get to the national title game three years ago? To it. Knicks, Capron yeah. Lewis, Moore, you know, really forming a shield for Manti Taylor to run around and make plays. Yeah. And there's 
maybe there's a couple Capra and Lewis Moores in this group, but there's not a Lewis Nix, and there's no. definitely not a Stefan Tuitt. You know, now look, if you can keep if you keep Trombetti, Hayes, Bonner, Tillery, Blankenship healthy, I mean, I think there's some good players there. I mean, I, I you know, I'm Bonner was my three star guy, and I'm sticking sure. with it until yeah. uh, until he proves otherwise. And I think he showed he showed himself well during the preseason, and then things kind of caught up with him in terms of knowledge of the defense and and, and things like that. But you know, I, there are some good players there, but you know, we know what we know what D line's all about. You have to have depth. You have to have depth of talent, and, and I and I you have to have a great player, right? You and do. I think that's the issue. Like and you can list off good players, but that's just not getting. I you didn't as far list as you, a great you know. player there. Right. Probably t- maybe the coaching staff might think Tillery is in that category. I Three haven't years from seen now, that yeah. yet. I guess Morgan would be the one guy out of all these defensive players that could be considered a great player for 2016, potentially. Sure. I, I, You and I both really like Trombetti, but you don't say he's great yet. Yeah, I mean, right. exact, obviously not right. great yet, but I, I would be shocked if he's not doesn't have a very good career at Notre Dame, and then he could go a little beyond that. But as you pointed out, there could, he's a Capron-Lewis Moore type in terms of development, become yep. better and better and better. That's who, great to have. Who played as a true freshman, yes, which yeah. is a problem right. because Kaepernick Lewis Moore was really, really good as yeah. a fifth-year senior, yeah. and that option is not on the table for Trump. Right, and I, and I think he could be a better – well, Cap was a passer. They're different yeah. players. We shouldn't be comparing those players, but we're saying the level of talent yeah. is that Developmental, high-ceiling guy. Helped yeah. a lot that there were two first, second-round type draft picks playing next to Kaepernick mm-hmm. Lewis Moore on that defense. Yeah, so, I mean, it's like – I think Notre Dame really has been hit with a, with a double whammy here. They haven't recruited that well, and then the guys they have – they played as freshmen. I was Romeo Quara turned twenty this week. It's unbelievable. Twenty. It's he, unbelievable. He played that, as a seventeen-year-old. It's unbelievable that Jay Hayes played last yeah. year when he. Uh, well, I mean, what stage of Louisville? Game eleven. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, and, and I understand it, but yeah. boy, how much was at stake at that point? Uh, I don't. I don't like to second guess that stuff. Cause it's that's hard because if they won the game, it would have been a little different. Well, and, and to me, it's, yeah. it's it's that that is one issue that they played him really late in the year. The other issue is that you had to play Blankenship. You had to play Trombetti. You had to play Cage. I mean, that's just not a really unhealthy situation on the defensive yeah. line. I mean, you look at you look at the flip side on the offensive line, Alex Barnes and Quinn Nelson were, like, not even close. And we may see that situation again when the Maquas and, and you know, Tiasums and Taylors are reaching right. upper class status and as we project them right now those guys would be candidates to be replaced by a freshman who probably isn't prepared to play but what are you going what are you going to yeah, do it's a, I, it's a difficult situation i don't mind the defensive line not defensive line the defensive talent they brought in and i certainly don't mind the overall talent they brought in the last two classes but the defensive line talent's the issue and it's that that can't be an issue is that an offensive line there are it no cannot be an issue. Offensive line's are, not. Defensive line is. There, yeah. are, is there? I mean, I'd like to know the percentage of top ten teams in the country that don't have very good to great defensive fronts. It, is it possible? I don't think you could. I mean, it's I just it isn't possible. You have to play in a lower possible. league. I mean, on Boise State, but they would dominate their league with their defensive line. But I mean, that's I'm just throwing Boise State out there because they don't play in a power conference. Right, 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 to, right. But yeah, I can't imagine a power conference getting think through. You can't. No. You can't fake that. Part of it, you've got to be able to hold the point of attack and get beyond the point yeah, of attack. Yeah, because even I mean, I'm just trying to think of the Pac-12, the style of play. Obviously, the SEC, it's not possible the style of play, but Pac-12. I mean, no, they. I mean, Oregon creep, had yeah. Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner. USC uh, the best, one of the best players in the country. Yeah, I mean, Ohio <laughs> yeah. State yeah. had you know, Bear or Barnett inside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bosa, yeah, Bosa as well. I mean, they. 
I just don't think you can get by without two NFL quality yeah. defensive right. linemen in your front. And That's a good way of saying it. This yeah. year, I think Notre Dame has it, but yeah. they'll probably both be departing. I guess there season. was a time, you know, a couple years ago when Oregon was really struggling defensively and they just completely overwhelmed you with offense. So but, I mean, it's an exception. They but, had um, the guys. I'm blanking on the guy's name. He ended up winning in the top 10 of the draft of the Miami Dolphins, um, who was an outside linebacker, pass-rushing type guy. Um, so it's like they've had you know, guys here yeah. or there that have done it. But you know, it's like I think you're, you're hoping that either you've got Capital Lewis Moore or Justin Tuck hanging around somewhere and you just don't know it yet because um, yeah, you, you know there's not a lynch into it. No, I, I suppose one of these guys, I mean – Trombetti will have to be as good as I think he can be. Bonner will have to be as good as you think he can be. And uh, you want to throw it in and be as good. And Tillery can be sure. as good as you think and he can be. And we've talked about maybe Blankenship preserving your eligibility, which is very unusual yeah. for a guy that plays he was freshman and sophomore. With Conan Schwenke, he was planning on doing it. So yeah. Speaking of to it. Yeah, but, uh, I don't know that... I don't know that preserving that year yeah. for Conor Schwenke is a difference-making type move, nor do I know that preserving a year for Blankenship is a difference-making type move. But you try to piece it together and... Look, 2015, Notre Dame needs to have a great year. Yeah. They're, they're going and, to be at their best this season yes. compared to the next couple of seasons. I totally agree. And if they don't get gutted, they can be very good next year. They, but, but, yeah, 2015 is the year, and it has been shaping up that way for almost two years now. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mr. T.N. Keith, do you think Kelly will actually, all capitals, play his best athletes this season, i.e. Bryant Redfield, Alizé Jones, Niles Morgan, etc.? Or simply go with the, the quote-unquote smart players like he did last year, McDaniel, Collinsworth, Farley, etc. You're going to throw Schmidt in there? Or something <laughs> the smart players? He's just etc. Yeah, he's just etc. nowadays. He definitely just belongs there. You know, there's there's guys here where, I don't know if it's specific to these players, but we know why. He tried, like Redfield played. Redfield started from the beginning and did something so poorly, either on or off the field in practice, that he had to be benched in favor of a one-armed guy. And I know that that's what this is about. He had nine games to prove himself. He did. I don't know if it was a good decision or not to bench him. I don't think so because Collinsworth couldn't physically tackle guys that had footballs in their hands. But he had to take Redfield off the field, and we know now there was something else to it because Jalen Smith continually talks about how some guys were not dialed in without saying who the some guys that weren't dialed in, and we made the changes. Redfield came back in, looked much better in the in the game. I, I don't want to harp on Redfield because I understand this is a Cam McDaniel question. Probably. Why was Cam McDaniel not third string? It is odd that <laughs> he played for 12 games when you had Fulston. But listen, go back to the Arizona State game. Terry and Fulston had had, I think, three good games in a row. At least two good games in a row. Three good games in a row. It was Florida State. North Carolina he was great against North Carolina and Navy. He couldn't block anybody on Arizona State. And Everett Golson got destroyed. They brought in Cam McDaniel. He helped pick up the, he helped pick up the blitz. And they came back because of it. Now... Terrian Folsom's way better than Cam McDaniel, but at certain points, Cam McDaniel had to help your team last year. I don't think Brian Kelly wanted to take Terrian Folsom out of the game because of he wasn't not. engaged in pass protection. He has been since. But don't no, listen, he's Niles Morgan. Niles Morgan, as opposed to Joe Schmidt last year. That's what you want to do. You wanted to play Niles Morgan. What, Did like, you see what happened when they played Niles Morgan? That's what happens <laughs> when, you, when you play sophomores and freshmen. Yeah. They're inconsistent, and they have three good games in a row, like Folston said. And then they have a really bad right. game. That's what happens. Jalen Smith had a bunch of really good games last year, and then he struggled at some time. So, you know, freshmen are even more likely. That's, you know, probably a 50-50 proposition. Um, so would the staff prefer to play Bryant, Redfield, Alizé Jones, Salisbury? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, you, 
I was out at Irish Invasion on Friday night, and Ali Jones was standing there in a tank top, and we're like, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, five stars. It makes totally totally makes sense now, because genetically, he just is off the charts. Um, does that mean he's going to be more ready to go uh, than Durham Smythe and Nick Wisher and Tyler Luatua at the beginning of camp? Probably not. But the staff, I, I do think the staff could do a better job of carving out niches for younger players and give them packages and keep it simple. Uh, I think sometimes we, we hear too much about, you know, information overload. Well, give them less information. Um, that pigeonholes you a little bit, and I realize that's complicated as a coach to do that. But I do think that's, that is one area where I think Notre Dame could do more with younger players opposed to advocating to just throw them into the fire and hope it works out. I agree with that. And I think an example from last year is Durham Smythe that you just could absolutely not get Durham Smythe yes. involved in any way yeah. in in your offense last year. Um, with regard to the question, I, I'm, I would only say something disrespectful, so I'm not even going to re- respond to that. I, every, every coach wants to put his best players on the field, but the most talented players aren't always the most productive players, and they aren't always the ones... That, that give you the best chance to win. Yeah, it's just yeah. you'd love it for to be that way. It'd be a hell of a lot easier to coach if it was that way, but it's not. I think Pete made a good point. They have to find a healthy mixture of what Kelly said. If we can't, this is two years ago he said it, but if we can't get Jalen Smith yeah. and Max Redfield, I asked the question. Yeah, yeah. if we you can't get those guys, in there as well, it's their fault that if we can't get them on. It is it, 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 Redfield. I understand the safety. I mean, obviously. You need to be able to split the atom to play safety right. in Notre Dame's current defense. But the Greg Bryant thing, I don't know if. Unless we've all just overvalued him completely. I remember talking to Tony Alford prior to their freshman year, and he said, you know, we didn't miss on these guys, Folsom and Bryant. But there's things that are in our scheme in our offensive backfield where your left toe has to be pointing at a certain direction pre-snap. And Bryant's having some trouble getting that down. And Folsom, and I was just thinking to myself, does it? <laughs> I mean, does it make it that much of a difference that, that your that your toe point? Maybe it does. Which, wait, which yeah. left toe? Yeah, that's pretty. Big toe, big toe, toe? That's, that's pretty point. specific. Yeah. It but is. It's let, an interesting dynamic, though. I mean, yeah. You know, let me just throw something in from a coach's perspective. You know, you go out on the practice field every day, and if that really talented player does not do things the right way on a consistent basis. You don't go into a game wanting to play somebody and, like And that's that. what I think happened to Redfield and Shoemate late last year and why they got benched for Collinsworth with one arm and Tranquil, who was a dime well, linebacker. And, and, for and getting, how, about, in for how about Farley in 2013? Right. When he, I mean, obviously, he had shoulder injury. Yeah. Yeah. But they kept running him back out there. Yeah. I mean, at some point, you need you need players who know what they're doing, which is like when Joe yeah. Schmidt came off the field, it kind of all... And that was my Niles Morgan rant. I, I think Niles Morgan's going to be a great player. But did he want Niles Morgan to play over Joe Schmidt before? Because then if he did, what happened when they got Niles yeah, Morgan in there yeah. instead of Joe Schmidt? ODB 45. It seems like Notre Dame is stuck in a cycle where we have a great year every three or four years. How do we land the top recruits that will bring us to the top if we do not consistently have the talent to compete for 10 win seasons? Is it possible for Notre Dame to again become a recruiting juggernaut when we've consistently shown that we're inconsistent? Kind of a chicken or the egg issue here. Um, you know, is Notre Dame going to have as much talent as Alabama or USC when they're clicking? I don't think so. Um, can they sign the 2013 class annually? I don't think they can do that either. Um, 
But I think what's what's really hurt Notre Dame is kind of what we went back to this first question is their inability to really treat the defensive line like the offensive line to sort of build depth, sit guys, uh, and let them mature and become fifth-year seniors. I if if I could look at Notre Dame's <laughs> roster management and change one thing about it, it would be how they've dealt with the defensive line in terms of recruiting uh, and in terms of redshirting. Because I think if they had altered that up and changed that up a little bit, I think they would just be in a much healthier position. But they, I mean, it's infinitely more difficult to recruit defensive line than offensive yeah, line. Yeah, and I'm not saying day. that their defensive line, should we would ever view it as as talented as their offensive line, comparatively speaking, but, you know, whether it's Oquara or, Schwen- I mean, Schwenke you mentioned. Yeah. And I'm not saying you need to sit Stephon Tewitt and Aaron Lynch. Of course not. But these, these lesser role player type guys, uh, I think if you had just... If you had bit the bullet in 2010 and been okay, we're gonna we're gonna sit these younger players, then then you would have a nice healthy cycle moving forward. And I think yeah. they they just have never been able to get into that. Um, so you know, can Notre Dame just can Notre Dame win ten games regularly? Yeah, um, but I think the question is probably more like can Notre Dame make the college football playoffs regularly? And I would say no. I, the days of recruiting juggernauts at Notre Dame, I, I just unless they. Unless they change the rules of college football and how the game is played and how it's recruited and the camps we allow and and satellite camps, I mean, it's not going to happen, man. We're not going. Notre Dame's not going back to those days. I, as much as we would, I, you know, I I I guess I stop short of saying when people say, "Well, Notre Dame ever win a national title again?" Hell, they played for one a couple of years ago, and it had you know again had it been Kansas State, which it easily could have been, as opposed to Alabama, right. they would they would have won it. A national championship, or would have had an excellent chance. But recruiting juggernaut in this day and age, the way the game is played, and the and the way we, I mean, they're semi at the very least they're semi pros uh, among the among the programs that are consistently in the top ten in the nation. I don't. I think the days of recruiting juggernauts in Notre Dame that part's over. I, I do think that taking if you bring in a lot of 2014, 2015 classes, and you coach at your absolute peak efficiency, the 10 wins will come. They, they could have won 10 games last year. Yeah. Right? I mean, come on. They, they could have won 10 well, games the year before. They lost a pit. Yeah, when they right. 2011 was a 10-win Beat the team. teams yeah, exactly. you should beat. Yeah, beat the yeah. teams you should beat. Three of the last four years, four of the last four years, they should have won 10 games. And schedule all of them. They would have yeah. to probably, they'd have to change yeah. the way play, they schedule. Play, play, yeah, play it's two U-masses instead of one. Yeah, it's a grind. They, they have a grind of a schedule. Well, they like, do have Temple. People don't know how to evaluate Notre Dame's schedule because if it doesn't have a Florida State 2014, they think there's something wrong with it. But, I mean, it, it's too much of a grind. It is a grind. I mean, that's the thing. Temple, now you're going to our, our week, Notre Dame's week off is, hey, six and six. When f- Shouldn't be easier than that. When, <laughs> you have to have when, an easier week off than six and six. When four of your first five <laughs> games are, yeah. <laughs> are Texas at Virginia, Georgia Tech, and at Clemson. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, it's crazy. On. I mean, it's it's a theirs is a grind. That's Even why though it's you're, pre- you're predicting undefeated going yeah. to Clemson, correct? Yeah, I am. Well, one's happening, so I, yeah. I got the UMass one's happening. It is so kind of like with the way Notre Dame's schedule is nine and three is the new ten and two in some ways. Yeah, I, I like that. They, yeah. You're you're removing you're one team that you could lose to and replace it with a team that you're going to beat ninety nine times yeah. out of a hundred. Because I mean, you look at these other schedules that you know SEC teams are playing, and there there's at least two just total dogs on there, if not three. Notre Dame gets. Usually one. And what will now, now that you've established a relationship with the ACC, you're not going to play them out as regularly as you do like the Big Ten teams. Mm-hmm. 
But when anytime you start developing a rivalry or familiarity with each other, which conferences tend to do, it becomes more difficult to yeah. beat those teams. You don't play them. Well, although I guess, you know, I mean, even if you're in the ACC, you rotate enough teams that they're, they're teams that you, you still miss. And the other modern problem is Navy's not a break. Navy was a break. The entire yeah. People keep asking, why don't we ask Lou Holtz how to beat Navy? We could. He was destroying two win Navy teams with Napoleon McCallum. Yeah. I mean, Navy's good. Yeah. yeah. They're not as good as necessarily they always are against Notre Dame, but they're they're legitimately good. They're, yeah. They're, they're a hard team to beat. And they're not for. the other UMass anymore. No. They're not. That, well, yeah. They, yeah. they gave Ohio State a scare. Yeah. So... It's, <laughs> if you can do that to Urban Meyer and Ohio State, you can. They get nine to, months. But Notre Dame plays them every yeah. year, and yeah. so and it's a rivalry. And now Navy believes they can win, and they have a system. And Notre Dame, you still look at these guys. <laughs> I, I do the I do the first rate series, and you know Navy's always at thirteenth, twelfth, eleventh, which you know doesn't mean anything. Right. Because it's the it's the collective that uh, and they that have beats a nice set, they have a nice setup to play three big games a year too maybe that's well that'll be interesting now that they're in a conference right it's a little bit more uh, of a challenge I'm curious year. to see how that dynamic yeah. plays yeah. out because I think last year they had like VMI before oh yeah you know, they, they, they had a three game stretch into Notre Dame that was like one decent team yeah you would dogs. think I agree in the long and run that will like, that will play mm-hmm. against them yeah now it's more like okay, decent six and six, seven and five teams. So right. are they a little banged up by the time they come to Notre Dame? You know, can they maybe not hide as much stuff as they would be against Texas State or North Texas or wherever right. they're right. usually playing right. there? So I'm curious to see how that maybe changes things. All right, we got our last question from Blue Chipman. It says, aside from Malik Zaire, which two players on offense and which two players on defense can Notre Dame least afford to lose to injury? Offense is kind of tricky because it's Zaire. But uh, I would say because we don't know enough about Mustafer that Nick Martin would be pretty high on my list. They have a backup for, I mean, there's a drop-off that lose Ronnie Stanley, but they have a guy we know that they're going to try to put in there in Alex Bars. And if they lose a guard, we have a guy we think they'll put in there in Alex Bars. So uh, Stanley's great, but I would say um, position scarcity. You're looking at Nick Martin. would be bad to lose your captain and center. With a new quarterback, losing your fifth-year center wouldn't help that much. Defensively, I know I'm going differently than you guys because I'm doing position scarcity again, and it's uh, he's the star of our show today, Max Redfield. I don't know who else can play the free safety spot. I know, I know, we were, yeah, they have a lot. You can lose your, they, they have strong safeties. They, the safety position is not a problem. It's strong safety, but I don't know. And I'm talking going 11 1 10 too. If you lose Max Redfield, you're not, you're not going to, it's not like losing Joe so Schmidt, think, but I don't think they You can. don't think Redfield's going to lose the starting position? No, I don't think they're going to let that happen this year. So I would say Martin and Redfield. Uh, Isaac Rochelle comes to mind for me because they they do not have a, a wealth of defensive ends right now. Um, you know, and it's not, it's not like Rochelle's a great pass rusher per se, but I think he's a really, really good college football player yeah. uh, who, who's really stepped his game forward as a sophomore. And I'm, I'm, Really curious to see. I'm just really, really into that as Rochelle today. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how his game moves forward as a junior because if he takes another big step, he could be a really dynamic player. Um, offensively, I would go Will Fuller. Yeah, I would too. Yeah, because yeah. they've got some nice pieces of receiver, but they only have one headliner type guy, and that's Fuller, I think, by a wide, wide margin. So Fuller and Zaire would be offense. I'd start with. I don't know if I'd start with Rochelle on defense, but I definitely include him. And a mix of of Day and Jerron Jones. Yeah, you uh, can't look, I, look I, I I get that Jalen Smith is amazing and he's going to be a future pro and everything. Uh, they have some other good athletes at that position, um, and I really think like there's they're so 
shallow on the defensive line in terms of depth that everything would sort of crumble in on itself. And you wouldn't know how good Jalen Smith was or wasn't if, and I think we kind of saw that in November yeah. uh, when the defensive line falls apart. Yeah, if you have, if you have Morgan and a healthy Schmidt and Jared Grace, I'm not sure that we're, you know, and again, we're viewing Jalen Smith as the guy that hasn't quite put it all together yet. We know that he's, he's a great kid and you want him on the field and man, he's athletic and we've never seen a linebacker that covers ground like that. But I don't know that he's played difference level football on any kind of consistent basis. Fuller was the first name that I wrote down because that that's just a big play guy. I do I've I've always I think feel a little bit better about the receiving core in as a whole maybe than than you do, but uh that is the one piece that uh I, I'm not sure that you're going to find that um anywhere else on the roster. You sure would hate to lose Tari and Falston, no doubt about yeah. it. But I but I think that you know, if Greg Bryant got 15, 17 carries a game, and if C.J. Prosize had to carry the football, I think that those guys would be capable. I also think by midseason, you're going to say, man, it's really nice that Durham Smythe has developed because I don't think Lua Tua can give you what Smythe is going to be capable of giving you in the passing game. And Coach Booker and I think Brian Kelly even mentioned, they said Smythe's their best blocking tight end. I mean... You know, we, we just just because Lua Tua is a blocking like, yeah. specialist, he just no. Well, he's probably he's got he's, more yeah. he's got more leverage yeah, and he's yeah. I guess a little bit more consistent. Obviously, you don't want to lose Sheldon Day. He's your best defensive lineman. He's your most yeah, consistent defensive lineman, and he's become a, a leader. I mean, I obviously I can't limit it to one or two. I mean, I I, I think there's a bunch here. And now that you have Kavari Russell back, you'd sure like to see him play thirteen or fourteen games, wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, the guys yeah. like Kavari Russell and Jalen, that's when we're looking at, you're looking at different goals. I mean, Jalen Smith, Jaylen, actually not Jalen Smith, Kavari Russell and Cole Luke on the edges, that's when you're contending for something. Take Kavari Russell out of there and you're you're not, con- you're, I don't think you're contending for the right. national title anymore. Yeah, but right. it's, like at that position at least, and if, I think it's probably Nick Watkins at that mm-hmm. point. Feel like okay, you got you got a pretty good developmental player there that's starting to scratch the surface, and uh, yeah, I would feel similarly about James Onawalu if Jalen Smith was if we moved outside, which I think he could be great, but then you subbed in Onawalu. I think okay, you've, you've still got a, a nice athlete there. Yeah. It's a, it's on the defensive line where yeah. I think you're just like okay, you take Jerron Jones out, and suddenly you're playing a, a true freshman at a man's position. You take Sheldon Day out. You're, you're playing Jay Hayes all of a sudden. I like those guys over the long haul, but I just don't think there's nowhere to hide those guys. Yeah. Nick Watkins, you could get away with. James Onolalu, I think you can get away with. I think he can make some plays, but um, the defensive line, I think, is where you're going to be hurt the most. Onolalu is one of my uh, picks to click here this year. I think he's really going to start to put it all together, and then it depends on what you do with Jalen Smith, et cetera. We're, we are going to take a week off. I think our, our weekly. Uh, podcasts here during spring leading into summer have been very good and productive. We've had an opportunity to stay up to date and keep our our readers up to date and talking current stuff on a weekly basis, but we're going to take a week off here. And we'll come back on July 6th, which is a Monday, and uh, Pete and the recruiting group will be heading out to Oregon for the opening uh, the, the day after. Is that correct? So we'll, we'll have a preview of that and... Uh, uh, we didn't talk anything about the NBA draft, which is coming up this weekend, but obviously Jaron Grant's going in the first round. And I think just as obviously Pat Condon will be picked, if not the first round, the second round. So 
a unique uh, situation for Notre Dame basketball. I'm going to be talking to Mike Bray here this week about that and some other things. And uh, so until uh, we get back together on July 6th, this has been Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. Thank you.